Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-host, Miss Purrington. We bring you articles and podcasts featuring the best in Austin comedy in all its shapes and formats. Started in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. I love Austin comedy so much, and yeah. I believe in it so much, and I just feel like... No, I mean, I don't know. I always love laughing. My dad is a great storyteller, and that's, I think, part of the influence was my father's. He's he's really funny, and he's a brilliant storyteller. I'm, I'm needy. I know I'm needy. <laughs> but, like, I need stand-up. Like, I need people. Like, wow. it's... I cannot imagine not doing this. See, I want the audience to love me, but I don't want to be a clown for them. I want them to love me for uh, my own, uh, for, for what I'm doing on my own terms. People think because you're on stage by yourself, you know, you can be a lone wolf, but it's, it's not like that. You need to absolutely have the respect of your peers. And if you don't have the respect of your peers, it's going to make it real hard for you to even get a foot in the door. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Valerie Lopez, and I'm super excited to be here to bring you our live stream edition of Comedy Wham! Presents. This is our second one. We're uh, happy to bring bring this back for you. If you don't know what Comedy Wham is, ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about Austin-based comedy, articles, album reviews, and a live Austin comedy calendar. Hey, guess what? It's starting to come back. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, all at Comedy Wham. Uh, we host online comedy showcases twice a month on Fridays on our video channels, and you can even watch archived episodes if you uh, happen to miss the live stream. Tonight, we're going back to our roots with a slight twist. Uh, the, this Comedy Wham! Presents interview podcast is now live streaming, giving you a chance to both watch and even participate in our one-on-one -on -one conversations. We're still a podcast, but now with video. And as a bonus for those of you who are watching live on Twitch, Facebook, or YouTube, uh, we'll have a Q&A segment towards the end of our interview, and you can submit your questions via the chats. And finally, we are accepting donations to our Comedy Wham! PayPal account if you'd like to support our very special guest. So let's get started. Uh, tonight, I am really, really excited about our guest. Uh, I met her, and I, th I think I have the festival wrong, but I'm just going to say it was an out-of-bounds comedy festival. It might have been South, uh, the Southwest Comedy Festival a few years ago, and I have been patiently, patiently waiting for her to return to Austin so that I could ask her if I could interview her. Well, you know, things have happened, and it's just not been possible, uh, but if you have watched her in any capacity, which she's been on our online showcase, uh, Comedy Wham!, uh, in, uh, isolation comedy like four or five times. She's super bubbly, high energy. She's so easy to love as a comic and as a human being too. Uh, what you don't get from her really nice, sweet personality is that she is a uh, ferocious roast battler. Uh, she made it on the Comedy Central roast battle for, I, I think it was on the second season. And she's not only a, a, an incredibly gifted comic, she's, she hosts podcasts. She uh, 
I think she hosts two, but the one that I I know her the most from is the uh, 12 Questions podcast, which interestingly enough for a comic focuses on issues related to sobriety. Uh, she does do a lot of festivals. She jumps in both feet uh, into just about anything she takes on. And I'm super, super excited for you to get to know our guest tonight. And now Comedy Wham presents our guest, Anna Valenzuela. Hi! Hi! Oh my gosh! I'm so honored to be here. All those compliments, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Like, I was just like... Oh my gosh, especially because you've been so patient with my ADD spasmering and oh my gosh, I am so grateful to be here and I'm grateful that we're finally recording this podcast because I also have wanted to do your podcast and I also have wanted to go back to Austin. Hey, Austin, book me. Come on. You know you want it. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's totally great. I'm glad you guys, uh, comedy is coming back in Austin. Um, Is it coming back safely? Are people getting like, it is coming back safely from what I can tell. So I think compared to the other cities in Mm -hmm. Texas, Austin has taken a very, very uh, conservative and cautious approach. Like uh, shows were starting to happen in San Antonio and Dallas and Houston, and Austin was not ready for it. And then we kind of got hit with a death blow with our biggest uh, comedy club venue, Cap City Comedy Club, closing down permanently. Yeah, RIP, say blessing. Um, (laughs) So that leaves really only one small venue, which hasn't opened up. But I think comics were, you know, looking at these other cities and trying to figure out how can they do it. And the weather has started to cool off a little bit. So now we're seeing the outdoor comedy shows happen. So that's what what we're seeing here in Austin. And I know that in L.A., I didn't even mention that you're based in L.A. Yes. Um, Yeah. now in in LA, there's like all sorts of variety. I mean, I know the mm-hmm. comedy store is doing kind of a of a, a version where the the comics are performing inside, right? But then it's streaming to yeah, it streams <laughs> to the patio. I did, yeah. um, and then there's also the original room has this weird window, which always used to be so haunting because in the yeah, summertime right. the light would come in until like eight, and uh-huh. that is always weird to perform in the light for tourists that are just like, where's Chris Rock? And we're like, but we're, we're trying to make it, you know, like laugh. You could. Oh my gosh. What are we hearing? (laughs) I think you and I are the only ones hearing whatever we just heard. It sounds like somebody was making a drink in a tumbler. Yeah, I think our producer might be teetotaling right now. I love it. I love it. A bit of a late start. This is the most. By the way, this is I. This is the kind of energy that like just happens, and you just gotta go for it. You do. You just gotta go for it. You know what I mean? It actually feels like we're in a comedy club right now because that's what would happen. Is in a comedy club, somebody would just suddenly you would get heckled by a blender, you know, and you're like. Oh my God, you know, or, or worse, uh, listening to the kitchen staff just loudly wash dishes, just like, God damn it, I want to go home, you know, like that. So it feels very, it feels very, um, 
kind of at natural. home. Yeah, it's, it's all natural. <laughs> That's like an additional little. You guys should have like weird comedy club sounds for people to enjoy. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe do a check drop, like where somebody in the middle is just like, yeah. "Hey, um, so there's seven of us at the table right now, and uh, one of us doesn't drink, but you got uh, chicken nuggets, so uh, we're just gonna talk real while, loudly while this uh, person who's making twenty dollars and has waited seventy two hours to do this, uh, yeah, okay, sure. You get the Uber yet? Did you get it? No. All right, well, let's just make sure to get up loudly in front of the set when they arrive. Let's do that, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> it feels very unnatural. I enjoy yeah. it. Uh, but yeah, so the comedy store has this, like, uh, bizarre window, so comics can look like fish uh, b- uh-huh. behind the window. Yeah. And then um, I've, uh, I've judged some roast battles, and then they live stream that down to the patio. Um, and I just did my first outdoor show in a different like venue, like an alternative venue, which is really interesting because the club comics now need to rely on the alternative venues. And it's really fascinating to watch like seasoned road dogs who are used to like the club environment deal with the chaos of an outdoor show next to a freeway, you know, (laughs) like they just can't, it's, it's very, it's very fascinating because, you know, as a, as a woman who started, in her, you know, early 30s. Um, and, you know, leveled up relatively quickly, not to like to my own horn, but like it two yeah. years, I, I got a break and, and um, it's hard to convince club owners that I'm like a, a successful feature act. Um, and that's really what I want to do. I want to feature and you know, I, I don't want to skip the line, I want to do what I need to yeah. do to get better. Um but it's been difficult to convince them for that opportunity. So it's fascinating now that more shows are outdoors and there's that chaotic environment that's been very much my domain for the last few years um, to watch these seasoned comics kind of struggle with the spontaneity of it and the strangeness of it and the disappearance of laughter. And, you know, how do you engage people that are six to seven feet apart? Like, you know, so yeah. it, it's it's a very fascinating time in comedy. Um, they will write books about this. Uh, yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. it's very odd. Well, I do want to get to the whole what have what has been happening during the pandemic and the shutdown. But actually, this podcast has an icebreaker question to kick everything off, and so I want to I want to go back to that, and then we'll kind of. I love an icebreaker. <laughs> I love yes. it. Okay, so here is the the uh, the challenge for you. One word to describe your past. Oh, my past. <sighs> Anxiety. <laughs> okay, there was it, on brand. Uh, yeah, I wanted to. Um, I wanted to say because I had I'm taking this like level two brush up class right now. And the teacher called me, um, she called me a rascal, which is very, uh, I was like, Oh, that is my Twitter bio. Now I'm I am a rascal. I'm officially a rascal. And um, but, you know, a lot of that is driven by a lot of anxiety and self doubt. And um, it took it took a lot of work to get to a place where I could have a dream. And I was really surprised to find out that that dream was comedy. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so 
my 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 past self definitely anxiety (laughs) yeah so you are you from la no um it's uh i'm from okay so i'm from a town in northern california that actually really reminds me of texas um it's uh it's called ione and it's uh it was originally named Bedbug uh to give you an idea of like <laughs> oh what kind of joint this is right so <laughs> it's this mining town um in this little place called Amador County uh two places no human has ever heard of and um it's in northern California just about 20 minutes from the snow line it was very close to like Donner Lake you know where the Donner party died like that's very to give you the to topography of it all it's a very mountainous place and there's like a haunted castle there and merle haggard went to one of the prisons there so there's it it, how i say it in the bit is there's two prisons a bar and just premium quality racism just artisanal (laughs) straight from the source what happens when you leave white folks by themselves and so me and my dad were like the diversity but my dad was from boyle heights california and um, like El Sereno, Boyle Heights, Highland Park, that whole East LA, um, East Hollywood area. And, um, and so we would come down here uh, periodically throughout my childhood. And I have a lot of love for LA and a lot of LA history. And I've been here since 05. And I caused an accident that completely stopped the freeway. So I'm officially an Angelina. That's how, that's how you know you're an Angelino when you're causing a sig alert, you know, when you're just like, okay, uh, I command all of your commutes. So, um, so I've, I've been here for a minute and, um, but I'm a country girl at heart. I loved going to Texas. I went down to Texas for a 12 step convention and I saw, no kidding, George Carlin was the headlining comedian. Wow. Yeah, and he got booed. People didn't <gasps> like him. Yeah, because they were just like old fuddy duddies who were like, yeah. "Do the weatherman," you know, like. <laughs> so, like, it was it was very funny, and and I just knew like this is so important. Like, this is so important for me to watch because I love him so much, and um, and afterwards we because it was in San Antonio, so we just like drove around the outskirts to every like big ball of yarn a bunch of like caves we went to like a cave and then we found the snake farm and uh uh, i know all of these things yeah what what i love about (laughs) what i love about texas is if you talk to anybody for like a five minutes and just really genuinely talk to them and like make eye contact which people in the city don't do but again i'm a country mouse right so if you start talking country mouse to anybody in texas they'll invite you in the kitchen and tell you how the tea is made they'll you know, it, i was at the snake farm they handed me a baby lemur to hold i was like i'm like i'm holding a baby lemur you know like it was just very like they were giving us the real tea about like the behavior of the animals and and so I just absolutely love Texas. I love the vibe. I love the um, the hominess of it all. When I was, I was out of bounds. And that was my very okay. first festival. And I kind of really? didn't like know how to festival. Like I kind of, I didn't know that like there's all these mixers you should go to. Yeah. And like, I just wanted to kind of explore and eat barbecue on my own. And um <laughs> And I was just like kind of wandering around doing a bunch of things. And, and I would yeah. really wear myself out before going on stage. I would like go on stage and be like, okay, I'm doing my set. You know, and it was just very, there's a, a, if you're a comedian and you're listening to this or watching this, there is a rhythm to festivals. So like you want to make sure that you 
I mean, what most people do is they party all night and they get like no sleep and then they just look haggard all the time. I can't do that because I don't party. So I have to like get some sleep and I have to make sure that I don't walk around doing sightseeing for, you know, eight hours before my set. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it was so lovely meeting you because... In Cal, I feel like every scene has a person like you who's just a delight and just who loves comedy <laughs> and gets to know everybody. And it's like I find I find a you in every city. And I remember texting the you here in L.A. who is a friend uh-huh. of mine, yes, and yeah. saying I found I found the <laughs> Texas you. <laughs> And she was like, that's amazing. And when I'm in like, when I'm in Northern California, I find that person because I, Uh I was a fan for so long. Like I love comedy and I love, um, I, I love it. It's anxiety producing. A lot of comedians are like very challenging people, myself included, you know, like I'm not perfect. Clearly today demonstrates, (laughs) um, a lack of perfection on my part. Um, but, but I, I'm very, um, you know, I'm just so grateful to be on stage and to be me and to just do it and explore it. You know, it's it's yeah. very cool to me. So we're going to explore some of the themes of your background as a Latina woman. Sure. Uh, and uh, because I, you know, I have also the the Hispanic surname. Mm-hmm. I, I know what my Hispanic family is like. <laughs> And it's all laughs, and it's all cattiness, and yes. it's all ball busting. Yes. So I'm. May I make a similar assumption about your family? <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, like it's so weird. I I call myself both jokingly and seriously. Like I'm the I'm the nexus of what cultural erasure really is because I don't speak the language. Like, I am learning. I'm on Duolingo. I was talking to the dog in Spanish. I was feeling very, like, very into myself, right? And um, and my dad was really trying to, because I grew up in a town that had no diversity, right? So my yeah. dad was just trying to get me to assimilate. He didn't even speak Spanish in front of me. But when I would visit my Latino family in LA, it would be like, why is she in jeans? Like, what? Like, why is she she looks like a little boy and it's like because Mm -hmm. this is what you wear when you climb trees all day like this is (laughs) this is what do you mean i'm a kid like or um uh definitely there is my my cousins at one point even when i was a kid like beat me up real bad and um and because i had like four cousins five cousins jessica erica veronica and angelica they were all named after soap opera characters (laughs) right and so like they um or novellas probably both and so they would see this very whitewashed version of me walk in the door and suddenly everybody would start speaking spanish and i'd be like uh uh, what's going on you know and um and so it was very isolating and then one time they were just they were they let me have it man and i went to my parents were i like full-on they had real long nails and my parents cut my nails really short because i'm running around in the dirt you know and you don't want to get ringworm or god knows what else you know out there in a farm and uh and so i i had like you know i i just had a very different appearance so i never really felt included um 
I, you know, I got to meet my Grammy. She only like cursed at my cat in Spanish all the time. <laughs> like there were very whimsical people, but my dad was really like my cultural touch point. Like my dad did bust balls all the time. He lied to me just to, for like, why do Latino parents do that? They're like, oh, we're going to lie to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you believe that? Oh, you're stupid. That. Oh, well, I guess you're gullible, huh? Okay. You got to live with that now. Like, and like, that's the sort of enculturation to like toughen you up because this is a world that will deceive you. Right. And right. so, um, so yeah, so it was that, that cultural touchstone. And then he got very sick when I was about 12 and he got sick with this very, um, it's a Parkinson's type illness. I say Parkinson's on stage because it's hard to get into like, he died of an illness related to Parkinson's that like 700 people die of a year. It's in the same family of illnesses that um, Robin Williams discovered that he had. And um, it's devastating, right? And in that time, he suddenly became like, Chicano, like real Chicano, like, uh. like, ri- like, suddenly he became this, this cultural attache and like really went out of his way to like wear a lot of clothes that indicated, you know, his Chicano ness. There was this like version of cross colors that came out in the 90s called uh, Mahato Brothers. And he would wear those shirts all over the place. And and he just became very into his, you know, listening to a lot of m- lot more Spanish language music and and really became into being Latino. And I remember being like, oh, now we're now we're Mexican? Like, what's happening? <laughs> like, what do you... Because he would tell me, like, I would paint my nails black because I like punk music. And he'd be like, oh, what are you, a chola now? Is that what you're doing? You're a chola? Okay. Mm. All right. That's... You chose that. Took your eyebrows off because kids at school were making fun of you? Okay. Yeah, it was some chola shit. Okay, cool. So, and he still taught me, like, I was trying to explain to my roommate, like, how good I am at ironing. And that is like a Latino thing. Like, you just know, like, you don't leave the world. You don't go outside looking raggedy. You know, like, you gotta, you got white people, you gotta, you gotta show up, you gotta stunt on because they think they already don't think that you're very smart, or you're very educated. So you got to come out there looking clean and acting right. And, um, and, and my dad suddenly, again, he just, he sort of embraced it. And I wish he had done it earlier. I wish I had my language. I wish I had more of a cultural connection, but I'm getting it now, especially in quarantine. I've been really like, like my roommate didn't know who Dolores Huerta was. And I was like, oh, sit down, Miss Marilyn. (laughs) Let's have a talk. Like, this is a civil rights activist that was active, like, but at the beginnings, even before the Black Panther Party, this woman was busting balls in California and making legislation like and um, and she's still alive, you know, and like, wow. you know, she survived and like kind of kind of bringing that. But like, I don't know if it was as bad. I mean, I assume I assume you grew up with like, did you grow up with like because kids would call me like a wetback or a beaner or ask me like, yeah. did your dad does your dad pick tomatoes? And I'm like, OK, first off. My dad is your dad's boss. So hold well, on. I yeah, it wasn't quite quite the same. My my advantage. So advantage in the uh, small town is I'm, I'm a mix. So my mom, my mom is super, super white European. Me, same. Okay. Big, tall, white mom. It's they and love it. Not- they love it. It's those big chichis, man. They're just like yeah. flat butts, huge chichis. They are living yeah. the dream. They're yeah. gentrifying. They're gentrifying the gentrifiers, is what it was. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so, you know, with I, I inherited her skin tone, not my dad. So I, mm. you know, it was easy enough for me to blend in. And I had the distinct advantage that all of the kids that might otherwise uh, bully and taunt me, they needed my help to do to get good grades. So I became, you know, their their end to getting decent grades. So nice. um, I That's mean, I was somewhat end. protected. Good but for you. Certainly, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there certainly in elementary, you know, because when my hair started growing on my legs, and I had, you know, I had no idea. Yeah, I had, I had my dad's Hispanic, you know, thick dark hair on mm-hmm. my legs, and I got teased mercilessly, and I didn't understand, you know, anything. So. It's kind of like, oh, what? Oh, this is this is the burden of the Hispanic. Yeah, nobody tells you Child. that. Like, here's what happens: like little Latino children, they grow up, and you can see the pictures of me. They're like, they get they're skinny, then they get squishy, then they get skinny, <laughs> then they get squishy, and like square squishy. You know, SpongeBob SquarePants bod. You know yeah. what I mean? Just like stout. And then yeah. one day you wake up and you have size D boobs out of the blue. Did no, just no question, just chichis out the gate yeah. and hair everywhere. Yeah. At just your eyebrows are growing around <laughs> down your back and you got mustaches <laughs> and arm hair. And I, I got to tell you, I up until my 30s, I shaved my arm hair and I was like, oh, I yeah. was I doing, went through that. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. such a weird thing. I loved it. It was not a great show, but ABC had the show called The Fosters. And in one season, did you dye your hair blonde? Did you ever dye your hair blonde? No, I did. No. I did not oh. all the way. I just in the front, you know, because it was uh. the 90s. Right. Uh-huh. And so um, first off, uh, this skin color does you look jaundice in blonde i i looked raggedy and so my um uh my the a character in the fosters dyes her hair all the way blonde and Ooh. she's like a foster child who's you know she has a white mom and a black mom and she's latino and like and i totally got that story arc it seemed almost like a weird addition that somebody in the writer's room like the one brown person in the writer's room was like make her dye her hair it was like trust me we all do it (laughs) you know so but that you know that assimilation is so much you know i i think the real crime of assimilation for us as a culture is it doesn't work we think it works we're told it works and it worked you know when like the aztec you know in the florentine codex the aztec were recording both in Spanish and um, I cannot say the Aztec language, um, but they were recording in the Aztec language what really happened and nobody could read it until recently. And so now there's this entire document where it was like we were really good at hiding within the colonized culture. But what's happening in 2020 is there's no hiding anymore. There's just no hiding anymore. There's it's you know it's really become this thing where it's and i and it drives me crazy when like i get that we all have that cousin that trump cousin all brown people have mm-hmm. that trump you got the trump cousin right mm-hmm. yeah i oh, do yeah. too oh, yeah. i do too and it's like oh, trying yeah. to explain to him like no like in the eyes of the people making these rules and making these decisions you're not an equal i don't care how far ted cruz gets in the world people see him as vampire first not latino <laughs> So like it's it's this whole weird dichotomy of like you know well we're the best minority. It's like no, have you met Asian people? 
<laughs> they're crushing the model minority game. We are fair to Midland in the model minority game, you know. So, so it's it's such a it's such a crime. But like again, just really digging into the history and you know building. Did you build an ofrenda this year? A what? No. Oh, no. a Day of the Dead ofrenda. Oh, okay. No. Yeah, like an yeah. altar. It's really nice. <laughs> it feels good. Like we went down to Oliveira Street and got all the little knickknacks and all the yeah. things you could get. And I've, I've been doing it for a couple years now. So it was like my roommate, she's like white lady. So she had to like dig it all up. And I'm like, my side's all up. I'm like... <laughs> I got the relatives separated. So the ones that don't like each other aren't near each other, you know, like, uh-huh. so, um, so yeah, it's uh, just doing those little cultural things, especially because I'm rambling. You asked me one question. I'm going to take up this whole podcast. <laughs> I know. No, I have Sorry. so many questions. <laughs> when you interview a podcaster, this is what happens. And I will say this and shut up and let you ask your questions. Okay. I promise. <laughs> but um, the, uh, okay. Oh, friend of, uh, okay. Um, when I got into comedy, I didn't think of myself as a Latino comic, right? But there was a moment where a producer's looking at me and says, is it okay if we bring you out to mariachi music? And I was like, Oh, I mean, I'm not, we're not that kind of like Brown, me and this other Brown person you're bringing out to mariachi music. We're, we're like oldies Brown, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're like the four tops Brown, you know, you don't want (laughs) We're low rider brown. That's different kind of brown. Okay. <laughs> and they were like, but we think it would be like really great. And then both of us, without skipping a beat, agreed. And I was like, Anna, you could have done better. You could have done better. You could have stood up for yourself. You could have yeah. said, this is not authentic. And not all of us are from mariachi latino like i'm more for i'm more i'm i've visited the raider nation more than i've visited mexico okay like (laughs) so it's it's just it's so funny to me it's so funny to me it's such a weird world so i just started to in my comedy lean into it embrace it you know i'd be traveling through arizona and i'd be talking about something and somebody would just yell make america great again at me and like there's what i realized is with this skin this aztec princess nose and all this hair uh-huh. When I go out on stage, I pick up a microphone. It's a political statement no matter what. Hmm. So just lean into it. Yeah, I'm brown. Yeah. That's it. You know, and I'm going to defy what you think that is. But I, it's still a part of my act. I have to talk about it because everyone sees it except yeah. for me. I'm just like, I feel like Karen ass Karen on the inside sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I get that. <laughs> uh, for myself, not for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, yeah, I mean, same. Yeah. game recognized game. <laughs> um, you you have mentioned, and I've I've read that you you did get a later start, which it, getting a start in your thirties to me, because I got a late start, yeah. a different decade. Uh, what what was your inspiration what motivated you i know i have i've read the story so it's kind of a cool story will you will you share with us why it was that you decided oh i'm gonna try to be a comic now yeah it was really it was a really weird moment so i grew up my mom loved stand-up she would listen to everything from 
George Carlin to like the blue collar comedy tour. And by the way, if you're a comedian with half your salt, if you don't think a you might be a redneck style joke is funny, you're not funny because that is low key the funniest comedic device. You can get a bunch of comedians in the back and we'll like we'll be do something like if you tweet that veganism is the best, you might be woke. Like you can do that with anything and it's the best. Like so so uh there is the important part is to get that if you and then you got it you're doing it you're killing it so um i i was working at this place i was working at this autism center and i had worked in drug and alcohol treatment for years and i was really loving the transition into working with special needs and i they asked me one day do you have your master's degree and i was like oh, no, I got a GED, School of Hard Knocks. I know how to do this job because I know how to do this job. And they were like, okay, you and 19 other people got to go. <laughs> and so, so it was the first of the layoffs. And my friend who is the you of, of California, she <laughs> was like, we were talking about liking comedy one day on the little like 12-step road trip. And she was, you know, when you ask somebody like, do you like comedy? And then you're like, what does this mean to them? Because they might like, trash and so you don't know what conversation you're getting into but she our 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 charts aligned we liked all the same things and she bought tickets because her husband wouldn't go with her to every single patent at the at the largo preparing for his um his album um and she so we got to watch like the master craft an hour we got to watch him put two jokes together that didn't work he put the doc mcstuffins bit next to the porn pitch bit and people could not do both they were he they were stuck on porno and he's like i'm talking about a children's show he's like fuck (laughs) it we're moving on to the next one so just to kind of watch like the structure of of a set it was like a master class and we started to, and I was super depressed. So she just kept buying all these comedy tickets, all these comedy tickets. I was like working under the table, making memes for 12 step things, like just <laughs> deeply sad, you know, like yeah. deeply sad. And so we kept going to comedy clubs. We go, go to, first we only went to alternative venues and then we went to the comedy store and then we started to kind of like check out other venues and go different places. And, and um, I was at the comedy store one night and there was this guy who went up at about like 1 a.m., right? That's the witching hour. That's when mm-hmm. like there's two types of comics that go up between like 1245 and 2. And that is brand new past. So just like baby, you know, baby in the in the in the paid regular realm or people that were past 100 years ago that like maybe aren't top bill right and maybe you're a little (laughs) abrasive right and so (laughs) this guy goes up and he does this bit and i think it's brilliant it's so well written i really enjoy it and i was walking out because the way the comedy store is if for the texas listeners it's this like pin in the middle it used to be a medical building and it has this pin in front of it that is this like black tile pen where comics and regular folk and celebrities like all mingle like there's no there's not a lot of vip seating in this incredibly old building that was around since like you know prohibition days where they used to like sneak booze in it like so there's just not a lot of just not a lot of that seating and so um i happened to walk past that comic and i was like hey man great set and he said uh are you a comedian 
And I said, no. And he goes, well, you're a comedian. And I go, no, I'm uh, not a comedian. And he goes, only comedians think I'm funny. You're a comedian. And I was like, well, I think you're funny and I'm not a comedian. And he was like, yeah, you are. Hey, uh, Jay Light, come here. Can can you tell Anna about potluck? And I'm not going to lie to you. I thought there was honestly a potluck. I'm like, finally, yeah. a show where there's food. Like, Dude. I was very excited. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So, uh, but I, once I researched it, I realized well, you don't just like go to potluck. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. Although a lot of people do. And, um, so I go back home, we're living in Long Beach at the time and I'm at the grocery store and somebody says, you, uh, Hey, didn't I see you on TV? And I was like, excuse me. She's like, are you a comedian? I'm like, no. <laughs> and I'm like in my office and I'm listening to stand up while I make these sad memes. And um, and my boss pings me and he was like, hey, you like laugh randomly in a very quiet office. Maybe like tone it down because your laugh is crazy. And I was like, <laughs> oh, OK. And then he pings me. You know, it seems like you really like stand up. Have you ever thought of doing stand up? And I was like, no. And it just kept happening. People kept pushing my therapist my own therapist was like have you ever thought of doing stand-up and i'm like oh wow and she goes i have a friend who's a comedian and she t- i was talking to her that i have this client that's super funny and always goes to stand-up shows anyway i got you the information for this class if you want to take it <laughs> like it was like the universe was just screaming anna yeah. do this you're do not it, your job it. is not to check bags and take urine samples for the rest of your life like go do this and so um, my boss one day he said hey I don't know if you know this but there's this thing in LA called the comedy bureau it has all the open mic listings <laughs> and my friend told me about it and there's an open mic literally after work tonight and I think you should go wow. and um, I said well I need to like write something and he was like well you're done why don't you just write something <laughs> and like so eventually I made it to that open mic and I didn't do well Thank God, by the way, I don't t- when people do well their first time, I'm like, what did you do? <laughs> like, who are you? Like, I did yeah. not do well, but I got I kept people's attention, which was and this open mic was in a bar called the, not a bar, a um, a coffee bar called the library that also served alcohol. But that like nursing students, it was like open till 2am. Nursing students were just always like hunkered down in there because there's like a nursing school in Long Beach. And they're like, I gotta do and the open mic would happen to them. It wasn't like, (laughs) yeah, we have venues like that. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't like they were trying. It was a Uh brutal room. In fact, after doing the Comedy Central spot, I went back to the to the library. Uh And with with Keith, who also came up in Long Beach, and we both ended up hosting that mic at some point. <laughs> and we went there and it was so hard. And he looked at me and he was like, that was humbling. I was like, I know, it was so hard. And so, um, so it, um, uh, you know, I went, I did it. And then I got um, open mic pneumonia. Um, everybody got, do you guys have this in Austin where everybody just gets what? sick at once? Uh... I don't I don't know actually. Comedians in LA. I'm sure it does. Comedian I'm going to get real close. Comedians <laughs> in LA are the grossest people. They have oh. never washed their hands. That's why when corona started I was like everybody was like, "Mm, 
not leaving the house. I know these fools. They're gross. Uh, literally at the improv, a kid before Corona started, he was on the mic and he was like, <laughs> I have a cold. And we all just started booing. We were like, get up, go home, eat chicken soup, you piece of shit. You're going to get us all sick. So I got really sick from the open mic. And someone messaged me, you know, hey, you're really funny. Are you going to come back? And I was like, yeah, thank you. And I just did that. And then eventually I started, somebody told me about another open mic nearby. Because I used to only go to that open mic. I was afraid to go yeah. anywhere else. And um, and then I went to this other open mic. And the comics kind of sat me down and they saw that I really like it. And I really wanted to do it. Do it. Not half-ass it. In with both feet. Head, mm-hmm. nose. The whole thing, right? And uh, they were like, this is what you got to do. You got to be willing to drive like 100 miles a day going from San Diego to Ventura if you have to to get to all these different mics you got to make people think that you live in their neighborhood you got to be there so mm-hmm. try to do between two to four a night wow. and um and I did it and I had a full-time job and I would be wow. there was a moment where I was hosting the mic I was hosting that terrible mic and somebody's playing a trumpet in a joking way and I'm holding my phone and I'm asleep I have my head my head is up <laughs> But I'm completely asleep and I'm waiting for my phone to buzz. And then it buzzes. I light him and I close my eyes yet again. And the comments pulled me aside and they were like, they were like, listen, you're going to burn yourself out. And I was like, I'm fine. You know, and then eventually I moved. What happened was before I burned myself out, I lost that job because I was a mess. I was like, my boss would come outside. I'd be asleep in my car in the parking lot. Like, like I just was burning the candle at both ends. And then I ended up uh, moving to L.A. And um, and then kind of the rest is history. It was like I started doing roast battle because my um, my friends kind of goaded me into it. And I just want uh, what I knew about those comedians is I wanted what they had. I wanted the comedic skill that they had. And this was a thing that they used to hone it. And so I was like, well, I'll just do it for the exercise. I burst into tears about a week before doing the roast battle because I was so afraid of being mean. And then, yeah, see that that's, that's the, that's the irony. Like I, you know, had met you at out of bounds and I was kind of, I was following everything that you were doing and then I think I didn't realize you were a roast battler. And then I realized it. And I'm like, how? She's so sweet. She's so nice. <laughs> I will. Thank you. My sponsor will appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was a combination of things. It's um, I really wanted to get good at it. I love math, like kind of mathy jokes. And those yeah. are that's if you if you love if you love a a roast what you love is the algebra of comedy that's it it's just equations you're just making little equations over and over again and um and i i really liked that and i like the repetition and i liked how i could hyper focus on it because i do have that bad add sorry and uh (laughs) and so i um i i liked that it sort of would consume me um and again that comes from like being in recovery like I have an addictive personality, so I sort of became sure. addicted to it at some point. And when that happened, that's when it stopped being fun. Um, well, before before we do that, I actually wanted to show the the uh, a clip sure. of the roast battle. If um, our producer can tee that up, we're just going to watch the the actual battling back and forth, and we'll we'll skip the judging oh my God. part. So it'll be quick. Keith only uses lambskin condoms because after sex, he enjoys a snack. 
<laughs> Anna's just jealous because my body is shaped like the eggs she can no longer produce. I'm old because I'm four years past his life expectancy. <laughs> Look, I don't want to say Anna's desperate for love, but I did see her standing in front of a Home Depot wearing a wedding dress. <laughs> Keith told me he has a really big dick, which makes sense. The average blue whale penis is eight to ten feet. <laughs> a long face, buck teeth, and she once fucked a married man. What I'm saying is, she's a horse that caused divorce with no remorse, of course, of course. Last joke, last joke. He's a fat bisexual, so you could fuck his neck, his back, his pussy, and his crack. That's absolutely true. I I go both ways, just like Anna's shitty tits. Now... Honestly, I think Anna's just jealous because my parents get to watch the battle on TV and hers have to watch from wherever Mexicans go instead of heaven. That was crazy. Okay. It was great. That was like... I haven't watched that in its entirety in forever. Oh, my yeah. God. I mean, you, I, I've seen a few of the roast battle shows. Um, yeah. They've come through with South By and Moon Tower from time to time. And, you know, it is like you. it is very I don't want to break it down to it being formulaic, but there is a formula to being as effective as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I could kind of get that that rhythm to there being a formula just watching yeah. Watching that. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, when it, 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 that was a particularly challenging roast battle for me because Keith and I, Keith was like a mentor. Like Keith, hmm. I, Keith, we, I would drive him to his shows and he would like, you know, nag the producers into putting me on and like uh-huh. we would talk about jokes and he was really supportive. And um, when we did it, and also that's edited funny. I'll tell you the real order of the jokes I told because it was it was bananas. Um, when I saw it come out, I was like, that's a completely different battle. Like, <laughs> I was oh. like, man, editors, you really. OK, <laughs> cool. All right. Weird. Um, so it, um, it. Yeah, it was hard because he um, I just adored him and. One thing that really bothers him is a lot of fat jokes. And usually what I do is I write sort of like, because I had worked in like psych services, I write like an MMPI. I write what I think is going on in a person's personality. Like what's their level of narcissism? What's their level of depression? Like I really write this really detailed report for myself about what I think about this person and how I can criticize them very deeply. Um like in a real mean way. And I know, I know. It's it, for a recovering person it's a dark place to live, but I was really enjoying it. Um and so so I would do that and I couldn't do that for Keith cuz I just love him and I was a little scared to battle him. And what came out was a lot of absurdist um you know, more weight heavy jokes and um which I don't do that kind of humor in my act. I don't like make fun of I don't make fun of, I, I think sizeism and racism and sexism is kind of boring. Like, yeah. and so, um, 
But doing the doing the jokes that I did, I felt they were like silly and creative. And before the battle started, Keith was, I mean, he, and here's here's the real tea. Okay. So a battle before us, we're in the shoot and they basically they like stagger you and I'd had too much I was so nervous. Jeff Ross was like, Anna, please stop drinking Red Bull. Because I just hadn't slept in weeks. I was a wreck. And he was like, please put the Red Bull down. When a man who the inside of his body is just weed says, (laughs) put that down. That's too much. Right. And so so we're sitting there and I'm just trying to calm my nerves and and they staged us. So we would be like like in these little pairs all throughout the comedy store and then they would move us in a factory line up to the the taping and um we're in the shoot to go out next and the battle before us is bombing i mean bombing (laughs) i mean one battler came with jokes and the other battler came with i don't know but it's a it was it was a bomb and we were like looking at each other oh. with terror. <laughs> we were just like, ah, what do we do? And so we got out there and Keith, in a stroke of genius, with the judges, made fun of me for five minutes before the battle even started. Oh. And and I'm kind of going back and forth and I'm smiling with my professional makeup on, you know, like I'm just like <laughs> smiling, you know. And he... um. They, they, he had been talking about my age for a really long time, which I knew that was the direction the battle was going to go in. So I kind of had to. The thing with Keith is you got to be a strategist because if you're like a white dude who's like well dressed, he's probably gonna call you gay or the slur around that, right? So if you're a um, a woman, you know, then it breaks down to age, weight, and sexual activity, right? So you got to kind of be a strategist with him. You got to know where to kneecap him so he doesn't come for you too hard and so before the battle started or first joke it popped into my head to say well Keith's just you know Keith's just jealous because I'm gonna live you know I'm already five years past his life expectancy and the room went bonkers (laughs) and I realized that my opening joke was not as strong as that rebuttal and I said Uh okay your turn (laughs) because i was just like well uh that and so to open on a rebuttal is a really strategically insane thing to do and it that's kind of why the room just went like after that because they because even the battlers hadn't seen it and Mm -hmm. so so it was kind of i know i'm sound like i'm jerking my myself off here but it was true it happened (laughs) and um and so so that's that's what happened and then the jokes were a little different in the order for both of us actually and and um and it was really interesting and then kind of miraculously um and I think mostly just to kind of justify you know cuz TV is arbitrary and really it doesn't matter who wins a, a roast battle but very miraculously I won and there was suddenly this tension in the air because people thought that if you didn't win the pre show because that's road to roast battle so they're doing the show kind of saying like this is how our battlers got here so like they they couldn't um they they people thought if you didn't win your road to battle you wouldn't make it onto the main show which turned out not to be true by the way (laughs) 
okay. You just had to be funny. You just had to be yeah. funny and into it. And we were, but we were also entrenched and really under the the mistaken belief that um, that entertainment, in some respect, could be a meritocracy. And the truth is, is it's not. It's completely arbitrary. In reality, they know who's going to win before you go out on stage, and that show is a reality show at its core. So they know what's going on. So it was a very, it was a very fascinating um, thing to go through because suddenly people that um, had really been my cheerleaders and really been like my little brothers or my big brothers, like my big comedy brothers, but my little life brothers, you know, and like suddenly the vibe got very competitive and, um, and I was also very sick at the time. Uh, I was also very sick. I had um, a problem with my uterus and I was bleeding like buckets and uh, so I was anemic and was having trouble remembering things and emotionally self-regulating. But you could have cut one of my titties off and I would have went on stage. By the time we did the full <laughs> roast battle show, I was wearing adult diapers under my dress. So it was like, that's how bad it was. And so, um, so it, you know, it was an interesting thing because then all my friends went off to write for television and my job full time became haranguing medical to give me surgery <laughs> to fix my uterus. I was just like, ah! like they would call me and be like, so yeah, I got this writing gig. It's like super stressful. And I'm like, oh, I bled so much. I had to go to the ER and oh, everything geez. in my mouth tastes like nickels, you know, like <laughs> so it was just a really weird and interesting time. But I'm so grateful for it so grateful for the experience and shortly after that i did like two more roast battles in the belly room because they were trying to figure out who's going to be on season three and then i just tapped out i just couldn't it was the stress of what was going on in my personal life plus the strain on my comedy mentor friendships and all of that it just became too much and you know like a good addict you know you're sick and tired of being sick and tired that's what we say a lot and yep. that's how I felt. I was like, I'm sick and tired of being like stressed and insulted. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like I couldn't do it. I know that I couldn't do it. And I can't be mean. I mean, I can't be mean in some narrow circumstances, but oh. I couldn't be mean in a, in a roast. I, I couldn't do it. As oh. much as I personally love math and trying to figure out that formula, I, I know I couldn't be mean to somebody. You know, you can't. <laughs> Here's why. Yeah. Because people, this is what I learned, is it's actually, I, I'm myself, like, I adore you, you're a delight, I hate the little diva move I accidentally pulled <laughs> earlier, I hate, I will beat up on myself for four days, like, like, I hate it, but the, um, the, the thing about a, a person who chooses to be kind in their interactions yeah. and is mindful of that is there is a part of their brain that they are acting against. And huh. that part of their brain is where the roast lives. That part of their brain is the part going like, I'm going to be nice to you, but I just want you to know you cross-eyed as fuck. And I will not take, I will not take this indignancy from somebody looking in three directions. Now fuck off. You know what I mean? Like there is a part of your brain that's super feisty and also being Latino. It's like, it's, it's my, the greatest compliment I ever got after doing the show is I was at a 12 step meeting. This old Cholo kind of waddles up to me, right? He comes up to me. His name's Tomas, right? He comes up. He was like, Hey, I was watching TV last night. I saw you uh, playing the dozens. 
And I was like, which is prison speak for roasting. And I was like, yeah, man, I got to do a TV show last year. That's why I was so, I was so stressed out. And he goes, you did good. Uh, but when that motherfucker called you ugly, I thought, where is he? Where is he? <laughs> I'm going to take him. And I was just like, that That to me was the most, like, it felt like the most cool, like, validation. My, my father's passed away. So that's the validation that, like, that's so great. Or I was performing yeah. up in... Um, um, Modesto, California, which is Northern California, but it's a predominantly Latino neighborhood. And people really treat it like it's like ghetto, but that's not true. Like ghetto, saying ghetto, like saying ghetto is just saying there's just people that aren't white there, you know, calm down. Mm -hmm. So um, I got off stage and this old man comes again, but he's like, he's more like Paisa Tejano, like, you know, white boots the whole nine. And he comes up to me and he goes, you know why you're funny? And I go, why? And he goes, you're one of us. And just walked away. And I was like, ah! <laughs> like, oh, take that. I wanted to be like, can I like call Comedy Central and have them tell you that? Because oh my god, like, it just felt it felt really good. So yeah, it was a it was a big moment. It was it was a lot of fun. And you, <laughs> hey, cat butt, you could totally. Um, I love a cat cast. I'm very into it. Um, I'm surprised my cat isn't screaming yeah, bloody murder at me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's you could totally do it. You yeah. just you just have to confront the part of yourself that wants to. Yeah. 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 But don't well, do anything that doesn't bring you joy in right, comedy too. Right, right. It's like <laughs> don't do when it becomes a fucking job. It's not fun anymore. Like when it was just all our friends just shooting the shit and having fun. There was also a thing that happened at the comedy store where they had um after the show aired on television, everybody wanted to be on it and somebody signed up to be on it and they missed their spot. And then they reported it to the health board because we used to take an 86 occupancy room and cram like 150, 200 people oh. in that thing. And so it really did feel like a rap battle. It felt like something illegal and like you couldn't even clap your hands. Like if a joke was really good, the comics would bang the wall. Huh. and like yell and that yeah. informed the audience which is maybe not the brightest they informed this very angry mean dumb audience what was a clever joke because uh -huh. otherwise they sometimes they couldn't compute they were just so in the serotonin of hate speech <laughs> that they wouldn't know what was funny oh so we had to tell them and when that couldn't happen anymore the tone of it changed in the room in a very dramatic way. Then it yeah. just really felt like hate speech just living by itself. <laughs> but it's still really fun and I love it. And I love watching it. I love judging it. Um, and I love being, con I, like, I love being constructive and trying to give yeah. people the love that was given to me. Like, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have touched on something that is on my list of things. There's basically... Well, there's three more things that I want to I want us to cover. Do it, and this, I will be brief. This is not, yeah, this is not supposed to be a two hour podcast. <laughs> I don't, if you can see, this is not my cat's normal behavior to be up on top of a shelf. This is her demanding that things need to. She's happen. hungry. She's yes. hungry. Yeah, she's hungry. So, yeah, uh, she is. She is cueing me, even if our I'm uh, sorry. producer is. Not. I'm sorry, no, no, Valerie. No. <laughs> That's okay. Um. Okay, you have talked about sobriety, and you host mm -hmm. a, a, a podcast called 12 Questions yes. that focuses on on sobriety. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I 
I grew up in a household where my dad was an alcoholic, and it was something that was very present, and that is my experience with it. And because of him, I recognized in myself addictive tendencies. So I've actually not been a drinker. Uh, I will drink every once in a while, but I consider myself largely sober, and I, I can't even think of when the last time I had a a drink. So I kind of understand. And also because I, I am that um, motherly type to the Austin comics, I worry about the amount of drinking and, and sorry to sound really grandmotherly here, the drugging that, that yes. will happen because it's, you know, sure, if you're in your 20s, you know, you're doing going through this and you're you're drinking, you're you're taking drugs, you know, yay, party. But at some point, you have to uh, live with who you are and learn who you are in order to navigate the rest of your years. Yeah. And uh, yet, as that nice person, I can't in good conscience tell somebody, stop doing this, <laughs> stop destroying yourself. Uh, sometimes I get really close, but... Um, so that is my my perspective on uh, sobriety and drinking and the impact that it can have on people. Uh, you don't, you know, I, I know that, that the 12 steps and, and uh, AA is the secret society and they, you know, you're not supposed to talk about it. But, you know, you can you can use coded language, I think. Uh, what was it that A has has gives you the comfort to talk so openly about uh, sobriety and also what made you start the podcast. Okay. Um, I, so hmm, humor in a 12 step setting is the cheat code to connection. And mm -hmm. I figured out while sharing at conventions or sharing in meetings that I was kind of funny and it was my coping mechanism for um, for uncomfortable feelings. And still sure. is, you know, still is. And I um, I I'm comfortable with it because, like you, I grew up in an addict household, and my um, my I grew up in a twelve step program with my dad. Um, mm -hmm. And it's my earliest memories uh, were going to meetings with him back when the 80s when you could smoke huh. inside and all that. <laughs> and I would just lay on the floor where the good air was. And, um, and just, you know, so I, I, it was very much, it's very much a part of who I am and, and my identity. It's just been my whole life. And I got clean when I was 20. And um, so when I first started doing stand up, I had a lot of jokes about being clean my whole life and what mm -hmm. that looked like and you know because I had done a lot of drinking and drugs before I you know before I got there it that to me is is really boring the third eye has mm -hmm. been open you know I did acid and watched Hale Bop crawl across the you know crawl across <laughs> an Arizona sky I'm I'm good you know like yeah. and so I am um, when I when I started doing stand up, it very much became a topic. And how how the podcast happened? Very interesting. I was at again at the comedy store. Same guy I complimented who called me out for being a comic. Always checks huh. on me. Calls me all the time. He's like, "Hey, how you doing? I just want to check on you." Like, you know, he reads Aww. my scripts and you know and and checks my packets for me. Very sweet. And uh, uh -huh. I call him the best worst person in the world because he's a scoundrel. And <laughs> um, and uh. 
he, I, I asked him, I said, how do you, because what was happening, and I'm sure this has happened to you, is you go to an open mic and comedians or, or show and comedians know that you can listen. And so they just barf their emotional trauma just into your mouth, just like, blah, blah, blah. like they don't, they don't understand that just because somebody takes a legitimate interest in you does not mean you burden them with all of your problems, right? Mm-hmm. So I was getting a really emotionally drained at shows because people would just be like, I want to bring my personality disorder into your sphere. And I'd be like, okay. Yeah. okay. And so so I, um, I went to the comedy store and I was like, hey, how do you like avoid these people just like sucking up all your energy? And he said, well, you can walk away from any conversation you don't want to be in anymore. I do it all the time. He said, but that means you have very good interviewing skills and you should start a podcast. And then he turned to another comic and said, hey, Anna's going to start a podcast. (laughs) And so he basically, he did something my dad would do, which is like, do it, chicken, do it, or you're going to embarrass yourself. And so he he said, Anna's going to start a podcast. I said, he just decided that for me. Don't listen to him. And he goes, you really should. He goes, you know what? You're a 12-step person. You should call it 12 questions and ask people 12 questions about their lives. And then he just walked away. And again, it's like when the universe puts something in your lap, just accept it. Just accept it. Just explore it. If it's not for you, you don't have to do it. I've started and stopped that podcast now three times. And, (laughs) you know, because it got overwhelming. But what it turned out to be is a positive outlet, especially during the roast battle times, it turned out to be this positive outlet where I could talk about things that matter to me and you know, talk about real human experience with people and get to know these comedians in a way that feels genuine and is not um, not in a competitive environment. And yeah. um, w- one thing that that was that you said about wanting to take the kids and tell them don't do this. The thing is, is they're not going to listen. Comedians right. don't even brush their fucking teeth. You know, <laughs> like that's why they're all missing teeth because they don't brush or floss. Yeah. You know, they can't even, I used to show up at open mics and they started calling me mom because I would have my snacks from work and they would be like, Hey, you got any food? And I'd be like, have you eaten today? And they'd be like, yeah, cig-. I'd be like, cigarettes aren't food, bro. Like you got to eat a foot. You can't just go to Seven Eleven and live on a chili dog for 24 hours. It's going to kill you. And so like, I'd have like fruit. And like, because I was like, you're all going to get scurvy. Uh And when I, but the problem with that is, is that's how I should be taking care of me and taking care of my comedy and my career and keep it to like my close friends and the people that like, the people that feed, that put, put that energy back in. And at the time, a lot of people did, you know, but you can't do it with everybody or you'll just fall down. They'll just suck all the energy right out of your body. It's like that. It's like what we do in the shadows, the Colin Robinson energy vampire. They'll just come up and just be like, (laughs) and take everything. And that's really become like a thing when my boyfriend and I, who's also a comedian, when somebody really like lands on me and really starts doing that, he'll look at me and he'll go, (laughs) and I'll laugh. And, I, and I'll just be like, excuse me, Stuart needs to talk to me. And I'll be like, get me the fuck out of this party. <laughs> you know, like, so, so yeah, it's, and it's, it, it is a compliment. It is an honor for people to share, to feel comfortable enough to share with you. But there does come a point where you're like, you should just get a therapist. <laughs> so, but yeah. 
So then shifting to, and I'm glad you, you made the comment about uh, when the universe puts something in your lap, sometimes you just have to go with it. Um, COVID happened. Yeah. And I had not seen you perform since that Out of Bounds Festival. And you were, uh, we were on this madcap pace of booking a million shows in and they're a all great you should all listen to them they're great <laughs> shows they're fantastic <laughs> they're all on the twitch and youtube yes. channels uh when i first approached you i was super excited that you said yes and then when i watched you perform i thought oh my god there's been so much change and improvement since that and i loved you at out of bounds <sighs> but i thought Oh, there is so much more Paul. I know. You're filling my (laughs) cup with love. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, There is so much more polish in the pace. And it was so great. And it was so weird, of course, because it's online. And, you know, I there's there's two layers to what I want to say Mm. is, A, it's just an outright compliment of how much I saw different between two or three years ago and what I saw, which was, you know, in an artificial setting online. But then also the fact that you jumped in online and you've been doing a lot of online shows. And you talked about, you referenced earlier about, you know, seeing some of the comics, you know, the ones that were uh, paid regulars at the store who are now trying to figure out how do they do their thing in these alt venues. And, uh, you know, a lot of those people that I've talked to, they wouldn't touch an online show. I know. To, you know, it's a shame. You know, yeah. I mean, part of it I understood because I had t- I had talked to a manager who explained that you know they this is their livelihood at this point, hmm. and they want to make sure that they have a source of income, and we we can't guarantee that we were donations based. Uh, but you jumped in, and you've done a lot, and. It, speaks to that spirit that you have of well you know when something lands on your lap or you know you jump in or maybe it's just part of your genetic coding of resiliency oh oh my god (laughs) my therapist does not know this but she's very happy we're having this conversation because I don't always feel that way um yeah um here's how I feel about online shows and this and first off thank you so much you know between out of bounds and covid I traveled a lot and I worked a yeah. lot of clubs and um, and I traveled around the world. I got to do comedy in Southeast Asia. I got to see how some comedy that we do here in the States does not translate. So you got to kind of you got to kind of shift it uh, for an expat audience. And um, it's uh, it's it's been a very cool experience. And and um, even in COVID, I've started taking a lot of um, classes that I didn't have mm-hmm. time to take. Uh, like screenwriting classes and um, voice acting. And uh, I took a, a, I found out Maria Bamford took a a stand-up class and I found out who taught it. And I talked them into letting me in, even though it was a level two class. And it's really, it's, uh, it's really been amazing. Actually, shout out to Judith Shelton. It's really been amazing. Because she asked, like, what do you want? I was like, I want my joke writing to be the next level. I'm really good at being a rascal. I'm really good at being this kind of person. There's two things that I'm bad at. I'm bad at levels. I tend to do, I tend to hit every audience with like 11 
I turn my amp up to 11 because that's how mm. I feel. But yeah. I have to work on giving them levels because ah. there's there's a lot of jokes of mine that don't sound very intelligent until you, she made me do a <laughs> deadpan exercise and yeah. I had to do all of my material deadpan. I was just like trying to do it. And then all of a sudden I go, and then I, <laughs> I would just smile creepily into the camera and then like pull it back. But um, yeah, it's you got to be adaptive in comedy. And I yeah. love shows that force you to be adaptive. There's a show out of Phoenix, Arizona called This Week Sucks Tonight. And it is, I've watched headliners watch that show and be like, why did I agree to do this shit? Because it's sort of roast battle meets the Benson interruption meets a news show. And so oh, you wow. have to be good. They'll put, they'll put your, they'll put, they'll ask you, what's your favorite type of porn? And put it on behind you while you're performing. <laughs> like, you know, they're crazy, right? So uh -huh. like. So you got to be adaptable, but I like that. I like spontaneity. I like the weird things that can happen in these shows that are kind of like Rose Battle. I, I like something that's very organic and insane that the audience is only going to get once. I really like yeah. that. And because um, I've been that audience member and walked away from shows going, I'm never going to see that again. And that's yeah. why live comedy is better than a special. Because you're never going to see what you just saw again. That was yeah. a moment and you had to be in it. You couldn't record it. It's not like a concert with music where you spend half the time with your phone in the air now. You know, it's yeah. like you got to really pay attention to what's happening or you'll miss the moment. And yeah. um, for a person who struggles with focusing, that's important. And um, the, uh, the Zoom shows, by the time... So I was supposed to go on a tour through the South, then the East, then come back do all of the Pacific Northwest and then go to Europe. That was oh. going to be my 2020. I was not going to be home at all. I had bought the tickets. Some of them were not refundable. Like, like some of it, like it was, there was a lot on the plate. And what I didn't realize is I was exhausted. I was exhausted because I also was balancing day jobs because LA is super expensive. And you know, again, I can't convince clubs that I'm a solid feature. No one wants to bring a sober old woman who has a boyfriend on the road. You know what I mean? There's just what, hi, hi, I'm a wet blanket. You want to bring a wet blanket on the road? I'll make sure that you don't get scurvy. You know, no one wants that. They want to take a dude they can high five and take to the strip club. What they don't know is I will go but I will talk to all the strippers all night. Um, so I, uh, you know, I really needed to rest. I really yeah. needed to rest. And um, so my first couple of weeks, I think you were the first show you put that was put me on a Zoom show. Oh. I think you guys were the first one. And what I really quickly realized is, A, I don't like commuting. It takes 32 minutes to an hour and a half to get fucking anywhere in LA. And so, no. I love it. I can just roll out of bed and I can just do my set. And yeah. two, you can play with the medium itself. And so you can move around. You can get, I've been opening with like, I did a live comedy show and like, why are old men always trying to close talk you? You know, this guy uh -huh. came up to me and he was like, Hey, can I, uh, <laughs> can I talk in your mouth? Can I talk in your mouth, please? <laughs> and what I do, if you're listening to this audio format, what I do is I just, put my mouth on the camera basically and um so you can play with it you can use little props you can use your tiny hands you can yes. you can grab your vibrator and pretend it's a microphone you can you can do anything at home and 
because it's Zoom, there's a freedom to it because it kind of doesn't matter. There's no agents or managers showing up to Zoom shows, although if they are, <laughs> holler at me. Um, <laughs> but like, for the most part, it's comedy for the sake of comedy, for the enjoyment of comedy, for the people who need to laugh. It's, it's a very pure form of comedy. Um, yeah. It's just different. And comedians like addicts, recovering addicts, do not care for change. And so it's just different. I would say allow it, have fun with it. You know, my boyfriend and I did a show where we both made fun of each other. And at one point, he just walked into the background of my like background of my shot with his headphones on talking shit to me, you know, and people like freaked out. I've uh, put on a dinosaur suit and run around in the background of my roommate sets, you know, like, you know, you can you can really have fun and be silly and be absurd and still try material. I've built a lot of new bits in quarantine that are not just about quarantine. Yeah. You know, like that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And like, so I think it's really great because again, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting on in years and I don't want, you know, I don't want to be driving around the city all night anymore. You know, I don't have that in the first year. Everything's so frantic. No matter what age mm-hmm. you are, you're just like, oh, I just got to get another shot. I love it. Oh, my God. I love it. I love being around comedians. <laughs> and then the pink cloud fades. And then you're like, I'm tired. Get off the stage. That joke never works. Ah! Like, you just want to go home. And I remember, like, going home a couple of times and calling my homeboy in the program and I'd be like, it's 11.15. He goes, why are you calling me at 11.15? I said, I just did all my sets and I'm home <laughs> And he'd be like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to do a face mask and I'm going to watch an episode of The West Wing and it's going to be great. It's going to be like the old times when I didn't have to be awake all hours, you know, because you're also expected to wake up early because that's when the New York market starts. So you got to wake up early. You got to tweet. You got to do this. You got to be ready to answer all this because those manager emails will come in and, and they'll be like, you know, like, hey, can you audition for this thing? It needs to be in by yesterday, you know, like fuck off with that like i'm a comedian (laughs) in la i don't wake up until two o'clock your time bruh so like it's uh it's it's been actually it's tragic that so many people are dying i had a friend i've had two friends get covid one of them had to got so sick she had to have physical therapy to learn how to walk again and uh, another one didn't know she had it and did a film shoot and then the test came back after she had another test that was negative a test came back positive And like, you know, and she was super sick, but she wasn't like, you know, she wasn't like, I think I really have Corona. Like, Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's like being safe right now and, and remembering that this is a terrible time. And while as comedians, you know, a lot of comedians will be like, I'm going to take my ball and go home. And it's like, what a missed opportunity to adapt and yeah. learn how to how to perform in awkward situations because you know what film shoots mad awkward mad awkward agt auditions the most awkward thing in the world you know <laughs> it's like i'd rather have a gynecological exam than in front of those producers than actually do my jokes like you know there's a lot of really awkward scenarios that you can work through those nerves on zoom because it is a little adrenaline boost at first you're like i've never done this before and it it does it's just something new and like 
It's not really about you. You know, the pandemic didn't happen to you. It didn't happen to your career. It didn't happen to, you know, your hot five new minutes or the album you wanted to record or the tours that you had booked and the plane tickets that you bought. The pandemic happened to all of us. And you can you can sit around being sad about it or you can help another person and maybe take some time to help yourself, whether that's taking a break from comedy, reading books you know, taking classes that you didn't have the time to take before, like I'm doing, you know, going to more 12 step meetings, like, you know, doing whatever it is, doing more yoga, doing whatever it is that brings you joy outside of comedy, because comedian is not an identity. Comedian is a job. It is a job. And being a human being is your identity. That's something completely separate. And if you merge them, like I've done, like every comedian has done at any point, if you merge your success or failure as a comedian into your self-worth and into your identity, then you're going to end up in a very dark place. And so you just got to just got to let it breathe, let it go. Yeah, you're going to bomb sometimes on Zoom. It's going to be painful because you can see yourself bombing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And not every show is as well run as your show. Some shows I won't do anymore because they suck Uh. a butt. And like, you know, it's like you got, you know, first off, get a true. Here's the tip. If you're a Zoom producer, (laughs) either do it all just a Zoom show don't Facebook Live that shit. No one's gonna watch it. You know, do it on do it on Twitch. That's where all the comics are going. Port it yeah. onto YouTube. Do it. You know, do it on Instagram, which is kind of weird because you can't hear the audience. You can just see their little hearts and shit. Like, but like, for some reason, any show that's main selling point is well uh, on the Zoom. It's gonna just be comics. So everybody's gotta just be comics right now. And then it's only going to go to Facebook Live. <laughs> For some reason, that is an indicator. Maybe not worth your time. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, we go to Facebook Live. But we well, yeah, but you're also... Yeah, no, yeah, listen. I, t- I started by saying that you... Are one of the best shows for a reason. Your tech is on point. You're always fabulous. You guys are so structured. I always forget because there's a little delay. It's like, okay, there's a delay. It's like, okay, now I'm on. Like, you know, like you guys really do it. And like, I so appreciate that because I assume people are still watching and people are still really into it. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for you putting that together in such an organized and beautiful fashion. Does that well, make thank sense? You. Yes. Well, yeah. I am hyper I organize. We have the te- the best tech genius in the world. So. Really do. Yes. Really do. It's a beautiful <laughs> thing. It's a beautiful thing and you guys are patient and honest and cool and you know, it's 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 every time I've done your show, I've been nothing but thrilled with the results. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not blowing smoke up your skirt. I oh, swear to you. you. You guys are killing it, and I, I, you know what? Edit that out when I was like, some shows suck. It's somebody, but the but here's the thing. Here's the thing. In life, some shows suck. Yeah, exactly. And it's just an opportunity to practice when it's okay to say no. Because comedians think that if you don't say yes to everything, then you'll get nothing. Yeah. And sometimes you have to say no 
Sometimes you have to say, my uterus is falling out and I have cramps in my butthole. No, I don't want to drive to Tulare for $100, you know, like, no. But we struggle with that. We struggle with that. And, and so it's, it is important to practice. Like if you're on a Zoom show that you don't like, you never have to do that Zoom show again. Yeah. And yeah. even mid-call, you could say if it's really a bad experience, it could be like, you know, I'm not comfortable with the show. I think I'm going to leave. And that's it. That's yeah. all it is. You know, it's like you don't have to. There's nothing we're signed on for permanently. We choose this life. We choose that. We yeah. could choose to be a banker. We could choose to. That's the one thing my boyfriend. I'll say this. I'm sorry. I'm really rambling. My <laughs> boyfriend is uh, he's always uh, upset about the uncertainty of our careers and nothing is more uncertain than being a comedian in 2020. Whatever your plans were, I, you know what I hope when we get out of this, that there's a hard industry reset because the industry isn't a meritocracy. It's not fair and it can be exclusionary. And I'm not saying that like, Oh, poor me. What I'm saying is there's some obstacles that by the way, you put those obstacles in front of me, motherfucker, I'm going to come back funnier than you ever expected. And you're going to be a little sad you slept on Miss Anna Valenzuela. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, that's my attitude of like, oh, try to get in my way, right? But like, I hope that there's a hard comedy reset. And that the priorities shift and change a little bit in the industry. So more people like you, more people like me, you know, more people that we know and love that are kind of, they're doing good, but they haven't quite broken through like yeah. to have those opportunities to break through. And um, that's, you know, part of the advantage of doing the Zoom shows. Plus no commuting. You can have no pants yeah. on. No one knows on this call <laughs> if I have pants on. That's true. No one. We don't. We don't. <laughs> yeah. What a delight. What a delight. You know, like it's, it's a lot of fun. So like I would just say, you know, get over yourself and try something new. And if you hate it, you never have to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. All right, we are going to start wrapping up. This has been so much fun. We should do this again. We can just talk for hours. We should, we should know, just brunch. We should. You know, we, we should, should just brunch. That's true. We should. <laughs> we should just have our own private Zoom call and catch up. <laughs> um, I am going to open it up for Q&A, but I don't know if anybody... <laughs> if they're still like, here... <laughs> Is still here because we, have we started late because I was fast and <laughs> tech was fast. And then, are you here? Are you here? Are you here, people? If you're not here, yeah, if you're not here, then you know, does Richard have a question? Richard, our producer, Richard, do yeah. you have a question? I don't know. He I feel might... like I failed you guys. I'm sorry. Is anybody <laughs> watching? Come on, Twitch. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Oh, and I, and I, I get messages all over the place and <laughs> I don't watch them cause I'm listening to you. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, you know what? You can come back and we just have a Q and a time. Yeah, I'd be happy. And I will show up 25 minutes early. I promise. <laughs> and, um, and the tech will be perfect. Yeah. And I am so sorry again, and I'm just so grateful to be here. And I again, no, seriously, I I I, I will anytime come back for Q and A, anytime. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything I uh, I do want to be mindful of time? But no, I'm fine. You, I I saw something that said you were working on an album. Is this? 
Yeah, well, you know, um, <clears throat> producer, hello. I'm waiting for the producer to get me back to track. Um, I have a EP that I'll be releasing. It's literally a set I did in February. Uh, so, oh my gosh. yeah, it's like the last <laughs> time those jokes can really be told without yeah. the specter of a pandemic. Um, so those those jokes will be released hopefully soon. It's about 13 minutes long. I'm going to send it to Sirius. So just keep, I'll put it on all the you know all the streaming resources um so let's manifest that that my producer uh who's well out of my price range and hooking me up kind of gets it done (laughs) soon um and uh so there's that and then um i also have a podcast called 12 questions and we want to see it grow and flourish and be the best so uh give it a listen it's two comedians myself and dave yates and dave yates is a um you know he's a road dog from the midwest man and you've got my positive you know dabbing every 20 seconds energy and (laughs) and then you have his like you know salty rust belt energy and uh and we interview people about their real lives and you don't have to be sober to listen you have to be sober to be on it you know so it's just asking interesting questions from this life philosophy that we live in Mm -hmm. um and yeah so that's what's going on there and yeah that's that's it okay all right. Well, as we wrap up, I have a closing question for you. Ooh. One word to describe your future. <gasps> Not your past, your future. Producer, pay attention. Ooh, I feel like it's going to be a really good word. Um, okay, my one word would be um, abundance. Yeah, abundance. Not scarcity, but abundance. Yeah. yeah. Starts with A, just like anxiety. Yes, and Anna. Ha ha. And Anna. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham Live with Anna Valenzuela. We hope you have enjoyed learning about the beautiful Anna with her tiny hands, which she didn't bring up. Oh, no, they're here. They're here. Hands? They're here. Yay! I got my tiny hands, guys. <laughs> I got my tiny hands. Yay. Yay. Tiny we, hands, tiny feet. Uh, 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 we uh, hope uh. you've enjoyed learning about how Anna got to be the comedic genius that you heard today. Oh, no uh, tell us where we can find you on social media and let us know about uh, any upcoming things or projects yeah. that you want to promote. Well, I just let you know about the project. You can find me at Anna V is Fun as pictured here. Look at how beautiful that is. At Anna V is Fun on um, Twitter and Instagram and all the things. Uh, TikTok, I'll eventually get back on that. But it's like heroin. You got to be careful. Uh, and uh, so so you can find me on all the things. You can find me at AnnaValenzuela.com um, and Facebook. And yeah, I you know check me out and i'd be happy to gosh i've got to play some parties over zoom which was really fun um so yeah so just check me out for bookings and hangs and listen to the podcast and support valerie lopez everybody she's a goddamn (laughs) national treasure and deserves your support (laughs) that's so sweet you're so sweet uh, look for the article about Anna and the podcast episode to be released on comedywham.com. And of course, follow us on Twitter, 
Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Listen to past interviews on iTunes and review us while you're at us at it if you're listening to the podcast episodes. A huge thank you to Richard Goodwin for recording and making the technology possible to do this. And thank you to Matt Farley of Moturn Media for the music that you heard up top. This has been Comedy Wham! Live online with Anna Valenzuela. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Anna. Yay, thank you, Valerie. <sighs> we did it. We did it. Oh. oh. I love it. goodbye goodbye thank you richard i hope you're not neglecting children or cats either i'm so sorry i talk so much (laughs) all right